Morning. I'd like to once again welcome everybody to the Central Church of Christ. We're so glad that you decided to stop by and join us today. We're also uh, very thankful to have our online audience with us as well. We want to welcome all of you guys. Appreciate you choosing Central as your home for worship this morning. You guys are stuck with me this morning, courtesy of the mission team that is in Honduras. Uh, Slate, Julie, Daryl, and Jeanette are over there leading a worship service of their own this morning. Slate didn't actually get a break. He's, he's actually preaching over there today. Um, but I've, I've been thinking a lot about their, their, their mission work this week. I hope you guys have been too. hope you've been keeping them in your prayers. I would like to offer just a, a quick uh, special prayer for, for them and their, the work that they're doing over there and for their safety, if you wouldn't mind. So if you would, just bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we're... So thankful and grateful to be here this morning to be able to praise and worship your name. We're, we're thankful uh, that there are others like us out there um, that we can you know, come together with. We can put our differences aside. We have this, this time of fellowship together. Um, this morning we're thankful for things that you know, we often take for granted, like, like the building that we're in right now. We're so blessed to worship in this building with the air conditioning and songbooks and PowerPoint, these things that we just so often take for granted when we know that there are others in the world who don't have them. Um, Father, we pray for our mission team right now in Honduras. We pray for Slate, for Julie, for Daryl and Jeanette. We pray that you will just watch over them, their time in Honduras. As you already have, we're so thankful that you've sent the storm the other way and you're keeping them safe. We just pray that you will continue to keep them safe, to keep them healthy. But Father, most of all, we just pray that you will use them to grow your kingdom. We're, we're just so thankful for this opportunity that they have. We ask that you will just let every life that they touch uh, be able to, to turn and, and immediately seek you. We're, we're thankful for the work that goes on there year-round. We're we're so thankful for people like Luis and his team who have dedicated their lives in service to you. We just ask that you will bless him and his family and all the good things that are happening over in Honduras. And Father, we just offer all of these things to the name of your son's, and, and your son's name, we pray. Amen. Uh, thank you. All right. So if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, you can go ahead and be opening those up to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to begin reading there in, in just a few minutes. Um, when I was trying to decide on what I was going to be talking about today, I, I took a poll from a lot of people, like a lot of people. I, was, I asked several people what they were struggling with right now, some things that they might need encouragement on, and as you can imagine, I got a lot of different responses, uh, but most of them seemed to have the same underlying theme. Uh, I got responses including faith in God versus doubting God, love versus anger, uh, justice or forgiveness, depression and anxiety, or peace of mind. And I found this, this pattern when I was talking to all of these people. There seemed to be this generalized hopelessness in some form or way. There were these, there, there, everyone was, was giving up in a certain aspect or in a certain area of their life, and they needed encouragement for it. And I, I kind of feel like that applies to everybody right now. I think that this generalized hopelessness kind of has us in a chokehold. Right now, people are, are tired. They're, they're scared. Uh, they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And Isaiah chapter 43 is talking about when the Israelites felt like this, when they were tired, when they were scared, when they didn't see a way out, and when God stepped in and saved them and made a way for it to be possible. So let's start reading just right here in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. 
He is the one who made a road through the sea and a path through the rough waters. He is the one who defeated the chariots and the horses and the mighty armies. They fell together and they will never rise again. They were destroyed as the flame is put out. The Lord says, forget what happened before and do not think about the past. Look at the new things that I am going to do. It's already happening. Don't you see it? I will make a road in the desert, rivers in the dry lands. Even the the wild animals will be thankful to me. The wild dogs and owls, they will honor me when I put water in the desert and rivers in the dry land to give water to my people. Basically, this is saying that when the Israelites felt hopeless, God made a way. When they were trapped between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, God made a way for them to escape. I also love verse 25, which says, I, I am the one who erases all of your sins for my sake. I will not Remember your sins, meaning that whatever you may be feeling trapped by this morning, whether it is something physical that you feel like you can't escape from or something spiritual that you feel like you can't escape from, God will make a way for you to be able to get out of it. All you have to do is trust and believe in him. Now, you may be asking, well, how? How is God going to make a way? I just, it feels impossible. I feel trapped at every side. How is God going to make a way? And if that's the question you're asking, that's fantastic because that's what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the lesson today. If you're not, then maybe you should just ask it to, you know, just for whatever reason. But we're going to look at a couple of things that, that God does to make a way. The first thing that God does is God promises. God is, is big on promises. Uh, he makes countless of them through the Old Testament, through the New Testament. God also keeps his promises. If God says that something's going to happen, it's, it's going to happen. So think about some of the things that God has promised in the Bible, specifically looking at some of the Old Testament scriptures. In Genesis chapter 18, God promised Abraham and Sarah. This was a, a couple who has wanted a, a child for a very long time. They're way past the age of ever even thinking about children. And they started to give up hope that it was ever going to be possible. And God says, you know what, I'm going to make a promise to you. Not only are you going to have a son, but that son is going to have more kids and more kids. And you're going to have more great-great-grandchildren than you could ever even imagine. More than the stars in the sky, more than the sand on the seashore. And that's everything that Abraham had ever wanted. And God promised that to him. In Joshua chapter 1 through 5, God promises the Israelites that he's going to lead them to this promised land, and that their descendants, they're they're going to be led through this desert into a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be better than anything that they ever could have possibly imagined, and God promises that to them. But notice what happens when we don't trust God's timing on his promises. We we like God's promises to work like, like Amazon like if we, if we ask for something by a certain time today, we should receive it by a certain time tomorrow. That's, that's how our brains function, but that's not how God's timeline works. Abraham took matters into his own hands. When he felt hopeless, he had a child with a servant. Now we have Islam and the people who follow the lineage of Ishmael. When the 12 spies didn't want to conquer the land that God said, it's yours, just go in and take it, what happens? The Israelites have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And it's because we do things like that that God has to promise us in Isaiah chapter 53 that he's going to send a Savior. That Jesus is going to come and rescue us from our sins, from the things that we get ourselves into. Just to give you a little bit more encouragement, God also makes several promises to us. Uh, The first promise that he makes is that he's always going to be with us. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5 says, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Second thing he promises is that he's always in control. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The third thing that he promises is that he will always win. John chapter 16 verse 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And the fourth thing that he promises is that he will always keep his promises. Psalm chapter 145 verse 13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all the generations. The Lord is trustworthy in everything that he promises, and he is faithful in all that he does. Now, notice, through all of these promises that God makes, he not one time says, I promise that you'll be happy. He never says, I promise that you'll never doubt me. He never says, I promise that you'll be healthy. You'll never experience loss. Those aren't the kind of things that he promises. And he promises, or that's, that's because the second thing that God does to make a way is God permits. Now, God never promises that, that bad things won't happen. He never promises you'll never struggle, you'll never doubt, you'll never experience loss. In fact, he actually promises the opposite. Uh, did you guys notice in that verse that I just read, John chapter 16, verse 33, I'll, I'll read it again for you. Um, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I mean, he lays it out for us right there, plain and simple, saying, as long as you are in this world, as long as you are in this earthly body, you're going to have trouble. You're going to face hardships. You are going to experience loss. You are going to have those doubts. Now, you may be asking yourself, Okay, well, if, if God is, is letting all of this, this happen, then how is he making for me to get out of it? How is God making a way for all of this? And it seems like God is allowing all of these, these negative things to be the cause of all my worries. You're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm a good person. I, I show up to church on Sundays. I, I drop something in the collection plate when it passes by. I... I read the, the daily scripture verse when it pops up on my phone from you version, reminding me to read it. You know, I, I pray for my food. I'm, I'm a good person. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to see if we can answer this age-old question together. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43, it says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor. And hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. If you do this, then you will be true children of the Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on good people and on evil people. He sends the rain to those who do right and to those who do wrong. If you only love people who love you, then you will get no reward because even the tax collectors do that. And if you're only nice to your friends, you're no better than other people. Even those who don't know God are nice to their friends. So you must be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, I think this, this passage is, is pretty self-explanatory. I mean, Jesus starts by, by talking about loving people who hurt you. He, he doesn't say loving people if they hurt you. He says when. God knows that there are going to be people that will hurt you. And he says you've got to love them anyways. But then he adds this, this little curveball. In verse 45, so what's, what's all this about? Where, where God allows the sun to rise and fall 
on good people and bad people. God allows the, the rain to fall on good people and bad people. So even those who love and serve God are going to have their dull moments. God doesn't, doesn't play favorites. Thinking about the Old Testament, um, I, I think of Elijah, who is my favorite Bible character, and I was going to find some way to slip him into my lesson today so I could talk about him. But Elijah is this, this mighty man of God, a prophet. His name is known throughout all of the lands. And um, he performs all of these super cool, super crazy miracles that you would never expect that ever could be pulled off. And yet Elijah is one of the, and, or, well, he's one of those guys that you would look at and think, oh, well, you know, he, he never struggles. He never has doubts. He never, ha he's never been afraid. He doesn't understand what I'm going through. But yet Elijah, just like us, goes through these moments as well. Elijah has his low points. If you would flip back to 1 Kings chapter 19. In 1 Kings chapter 19, um, Elijah has just defeated the prophets of Baal in quite a, a, a spectacular fashion, if I must say. Um, but then after he's, after he's done this, after he's performed this, this mighty miracle, he receives a death threat. And there's this instant shift, a complete change of heart. And he's no longer this cocky, arrogant guy that he was before. I mean, when he's, when he's taking on the 450 prophets of Baal, he's sarcastic. He's calling out to him, oh, maybe your God's asleep. Why don't you yell a little louder? He's probably on vacation. Check back in three weeks. No, maybe he's using the bathroom. That guy who was that, had that much confidence in his God is now suicidal. He's begging God to let him die. He's running away. He's hiding in, the, in a cave in the middle of a wilderness. And he is, he's waiting for God to show himself in the midst of all of his troubles. Because it's so clouded inside of him and he can't see past it. 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 11 through 13. The Lord then said to Elijah, Go and stand in front of me on the mountain and I will pass by you. Then a very strong wind blew until it caused the mountains to fall apart and these large rocks to break in front of the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a great fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a quiet, gentle sound. Then Elijah heard it. He covered his face with his coat and he went and stood at the entrance of the cave. So listen to me this morning, just because times are tough doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that God has led you down the wrong path. It just means that you don't like the path. Your PowerPoint for today is God whispers to us in our times of grief and he shouts at us in our times of joy. Here's what I mean by that. When things in your life are going really well, how easy is it to forget where all of those blessings came from? How easy is it to forget to thank God about everything that's going on? You, you start to credit yourself, right? You feel almost entitled. I, oh, I earned this. I worked hard. I've, this, I, I deserve this. When in fact, every blessing comes from God. And so we start crediting our good fortune to our own hard work instead of God. And, and so he has to shout at us to try and get our attention, to shake us, to wake us back up, to remind us, hey, I'm still in control. But then, when it all comes crashing down, when we're at our lowest point, who's the first, thing, or who's the first person that we turn to? 
directly to God. So we're searching for an answer. We're asking God, why? Why would you allow this to happen? We're, we're listening. We're open to what God has to say. So God doesn't have to shout. When, when God came to Elijah, notice he, he didn't come in, in the strong wind. He didn't come in the earthquake. He didn't come through the fire. All of those things that you would associate with God, these powerful things that would shake somebody awake. But he doesn't have to because Elijah is listening and paying attention for God. So God comes in with a gentle whisper. But that's not the only reason that God permits things to happen. He also allows things to happen so that way he can prove himself and so that way he can take care of us because third of all, God provides. Now if you would turn back to Matthew chapter 6 for me. And while you're, while you're turning back there, I want to remind you of just a, a couple of things that God has, has provided to uh, the Israelites in the Old Testament. Um, in Exodus chapter 16 verse 4, um, the Israelites started complaining, as, as they do, you know. But this time it was because they didn't have anything to eat. They were, they were so hungry. They didn't like the rations that they brought from, from Egypt. They, they wanted something, you know, a little bit more filling. And so they start crying out to God and they start complaining, oh, well, why didn't, well, things were so much better the way that we were before. Why did you take us out of this just to let us starve in the desert? And so God sends manna from heaven for them to be able to eat and to fill their stomachs. Uh, in... The Israelites, they got real sick of bread, though. They, they complained a little bit more. Exodus chapter 16, verse 13. So God provides them with meat, a little protein for their diet. He sends quail so that way they can eat. The next chapter over in Exodus chapter 17, the Israelites complain that they're thirsty. And so God tells Moses to strike a rock with a stick. And through that, God provides water to quench the thirst of all the people. Every need that the Israelites had God fulfilled, and yet the Israelites had the audacity to complain about it and to, to be ungrateful for it, and it's like they completely forget what God has done for them. And by the way, this isn't over the span of the 40 years that they were in the wilderness. Those three instances, that was two chapters. Two chapters, and they've already forgotten what God has done for them. And every single time, they throw in the, oh, things were way better the way that they were before. When they know that God is going to provide for every single need, and yet they still worry about their next meal, about the next thing that they're going to drink, their next cup of water, they're worrying about their safety. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, says... So I tell you, don't worry about the food or the drink that you need to live or about the, the clothes that you need for your body. Life is more important than food, and the body is more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them, and you know you are worth so much more than the birds. You cannot add any time to your life about worrying about it, and why do you worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work. They don't make clothes for themselves. But I tell you, even Solomon, with all of his riches, was not dressed as beautifully as one of these flowers. God clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today, but tomorrow is thrown into the fire. So you can even be more sure that God will clothe you. Don't have so little faith. Don't worry and say, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? 
The people who don't know God keep trying to get these things, and your Father in heaven knows that you need them, so seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, and then all of your other needs will be met. So don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will have its own worries. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I, I enjoy complaining sometimes. I was just talking to, to Paul and, and Sharon about this before we started. I, I really enjoy complaining, especially now with you know, gas prices and food prices and my rent's gone up and all this. I, I, love, I love talking about it. I love complaining. One of my favorite things to complain about is my car. And if you've had a conversation with me and we talk for long enough, I might bring it up two or three times just to, to talk about, about my car. I have, I have terrible luck when it comes to cars. Thankfully, they take turns when they break down. So like one will be working, so we at least have one working vehicle while the other one's broken down so that we could fix that one. And you know, So it's really nice. I'm, I'm very glad that they do that. But my, my car doesn't have AC. So in Florida, in the summer, with no AC, that's, that's really not a good combination. Add to that the fact that like, I, I'm a massive sweater. Like I sweat very easily. We keep our house on like 68 degrees because otherwise if it's 70 plus, like I'm, I'm drenched in sweat. So let's, let's do some math here. We've got a car with no AC, uh, a summer in Florida, and a really sweaty guy. It's, I mean, it is just not a good combination at all whatsoever. Um, another thing that I like to complain about about my car is um, my trunk doesn't stay up all the way. It'll stick for a couple seconds and then it'll fall. So like you'll hold it and then it'll fall and you'll hold it and it'll fall. So you're like trying to load luggage or groceries or something and like you've either got to try and do it with one hand or you've got to like balance it on your head to be able to do it and like you can't get the timing right. If you think that you can just like move real fast, that doesn't work. This may seem really minor to you guys, but I've got a scar on my back from where I tried to, to out time the thing and I, I miscalculated like by a lot and it cut straight down my back. So that's terrible. Um, I mean, there's also a few minor things. I mean, the, my oil sensor is always on the fritz. It's just more annoying than anything. Like, I just had my oil changed and replaced, and yet it's like, nope, you need, you need an oil change again. You're, you're low on oil. I, I know I'm not low on oil, and my tail light is just hanging on for dear life. It's been hanging on by a thread for a long time. I don't know how it hasn't fallen off yet. But all of these things, like, I just, I love to talk about. I love to, to complain about. Um, on, on a separate note, though, if anybody's looking to buy a 2006 PT Cruiser in perfect working condition, you can, you can come see me after church. Um, but I, I really enjoy, I really enjoy complaining about all of this stuff. But, like, at the end of the day, my vehicle runs. It gets me from point A to point B. I... I mean, I, it's, it's cover over my head. If it rains, sure, it gets in through the windows because you got to you know, keep the windows down without the AC. But I mean, I, it's, it's not drenching me. It's not like it's a, a convertible or anything. I, I don't have to walk. I don't have to ride a bike. don't have to worry about public transportation or trying to, to catch a ride with somebody. Um, I, I don't have to make monthly payments. The vehicle's paid off. I mean, that's, that's huge. I'm not struggling each month to try and, and pay off this car. And even more importantly than that, like I, I, I drive home and I get out of my car and I'm, I'm all drenched in sweat, but then I, I, I get to go inside my house, uh, a house that, that keeps me warm, keeps me safe, keeps me dry. I get to see my family, I get to hug and kiss my, my wife and son and they're healthy and we're happy. I get to go to my refrigerator and open the door and pull out a cold drink, go to my pantry stocked full of food. All of these things that we take for granted I think about stuff like, like this, 
this mission work that we do for, for the mission, collecting all of these, these food bags, something that seems so simple to us, right? Just, just a bag of groceries. But yet to them, when they receive this, it's like Christmas morning. This is stuff that they don't have that we take for granted. I mean, how many times does food just sit and rot in your pantry or in your refrigerator? It expires and goes bad and you just throw it away. And to them, I mean, that's a week's worth of food. Stuff like that. I also think about these, these homes, these homes that are being built in Honduras this week that Slate and Julie and Daryl and Jeanette are building homes. We would call them sheds here. You guys probably have lawnmower, like bigger places for your lawnmower that you would, would store it in than what they're living in. Their, their homes are about the size of your living room, but it's, it's life-changing for them. This is stuff that they don't have, that we have spare bedrooms of in our house, and for them, it's just it's this box with a roof over it, and they don't have AC in that either, and I'm sure that summer houses in Honduras are way worse than a car summer in Florida. And so when I start to think about all of this stuff and how easily that my mindset can be shifted and the perspective that I can take to be so negative, I, and I start comparing what I have to what you know, I'm around, I can't help but feel like Job you know, at the end of his book where it's like, man, how, like, who am I to, to be ungrateful or to question God's path or God's purpose for my life? Like, yeah, things are tough in our world right now. I'll admit it. You'll admit it. But I don't know about you guys, but I have never been more blessed by God than right now. I've never been more blessed by God. God takes such good care of us when we're hungry. We, there's, there's food when we're thirsty. There's always something to drink when we're weak. God gives us the strength. God always makes a way, which brings us to our final point this morning <clears throat> on how God makes a way, and God protects. One of the, the biggest miracles that God performs in the Old Testament is the parting of the Red Sea, and I know that I've already, already mentioned it a little bit, but um, it'll make sense in just, just a second. In Exodus chapter 14, uh, God has just freed the Israelites from their, their slavery. Uh, Pharaoh and his army, they're, they're chasing them down. They're hunting to kill. They, they, just, they, they changed their mind. They didn't want to free them. They, they woke up and realized they didn't know how to cook breakfast anymore. And so they come chasing after all of these Israelites. And now the Israelites, they get to the, to the edge of the Red Sea. And all that's before them is this massive body of water. And they give up. They see this body of water. They're trapped between that and Pharaoh's army. And they give up. They say, they start complaining. They start arguing. They start yelling at Moses, yelling at God. Why did you bring us out here to die? We were better off the way that we were before. You should have left us when we were slaves in Egypt. And yet, then, God provides a way out. Just when they thought that it was hopeless, God parts the waters and they walk through on dry land. They didn't even have to swim. They didn't even have to get wet. God parted the waters. Dry land. You realize that means that like it wasn't even, you know, when you go to the beach and like the, the sand kind of like shifts underneath you because it's wet. It was dry. It wasn't even wet. So they, they didn't slip or fall or anything. I mean, it was completely dry. To them, that, that sea was the biggest problem that they were facing. They saw all of that water and knew that Pharaoh and his army were coming and they gave up hope. But God doesn't just protect us from the from the trials that we go through, 
um, and the, the things that we, we face in our lives. He also protects us from the things that we don't go through or the things that we can't see. And I'm not necessarily talking about like spiritual warfare. I mean, we know that there's always things that are going on around us that we can't see. Specifically, Ephesians 12 says, Ephesians 6.12 says, for our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I'm not even necessarily talking about that, because that's a, a whole different subject, and I, I trust God's got that handled 100%. I'm, I'm talking about the things that we could be facing, but God has chosen a different path for us. Flip back to Exodus chapter 13 for me. I just want you guys to, to see something. I, I'd never noticed this until this week. Um, before God ever protected the Israelites by bringing them through the parted waters of the Red Sea... He was protecting them from things that they had no idea were going on. He was protecting them from things that they would never have to go through. Look at Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 and 18. It says, When the king sent all of the people out of Egypt, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was the shortest way. God said, If they have to fight, they might change their minds and go back to Egypt. So God led them through the desert towards the Red Sea. The Israelites were dressed for fighting when they left the land of Egypt. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely love that. For, for just a moment, for a split second, we get to see into the mind of God. He lets us in on his, his thought process. He knows that if these Israelites were faced against these people, they would immediately give up. I mean, they were standing at a body of water and they started crying. Could you imagine if God said, oh, no, you're going to you're have to go and fight these people? I mean, it wasn't like they weren't physically prepared because the last part of this verse said they were armed and ready for war. They were ready for battle, but God knew that they weren't ready for the battle. And so God takes them around on the other side. And this whole time, the, the Israelites are completely clueless that God has been playing little puppet master behind the scenes. And I can't help but wonder, how many times has God done that for me in my life? When I'm, I'm sitting in, in my sorrow, thinking, why me? Why, why am I going through this? This is the toughest thing that I've ever had to face. How much harder would it actually have been? But God knew that I wasn't ready for it. And so he sent me down another path. God was protecting me from it. And yet, I still, like the Israelites, I, I still complain. I still grumble. And I, at times, am still ungrateful for the very blessed life that I have been fortunate enough to have been given. And when we're talking about the Israelites, I can't help but see this pattern. Um, all the teenagers upstairs know exactly where I'm going with this. We, we talk about this all the time. They could all quote this to you. This is what I call the, the sin cycle of the Israelites. They, they get caught up in this exact same pattern over and over and over again. Just about every single story that you'll read that involves the Israelites, it starts like this. And again, the Israelites did what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. That's how the story's set up. <laughs> the Israelites know they're doing it. We know they're doing it. God knows they're doing it. And yet they continually, over and over again, they do what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. And so um, this, is, this is how they, they start out. They start out by, by turning away from God. They start worshiping these false prophets, these idols. They start living in this lavish lifestyle, this sinful lifestyle. And honestly, they do it in happiness for quite a while. 
they get away with it for a long time. Sometimes it's 40 years, sometimes it's 80 years, sometimes it's even longer than that. I mean, these are generations of people that are just living in sin and they get away with it. But then something happens. There's a, there's a shift that takes place. The, the Israelites are presented with a problem. They start to lose a battle because God's no longer on their side or they don't have enough food or they don't have enough water or their leaders have become too corrupt even for them. And so it's in this moment that they remember, oh, wow, we've fallen so far. And so they cry out to God and they apologize and they beg for forgiveness saying, how could we ever have forgotten about you? And please just come back, forgive us, take us back. We'll never do this again. And so God, he hears their cry and he does what he always does. God steps in and he saves the day. He rescues them. He pulls them out in this heroic save in the nick of time and everything goes back to, to normal. And what I mean by normal is the Israelites start praising God's name. They start claiming that he's the greatest who ever was and who ever lived and that they'll never forget about him. And then the next chapter, I mean, they, they forget about him and they turn away from God. And so they're presented with this cycle because they only turn away from God and curse his name until they're presented with a problem that they can't fix. And so then they, they cry out to God and they, they beg him for forgiveness so that way he can save them. And then God steps in. God rescues them from what they were doing, all of their troubles. And so finally they praise his name only for them to repeat this cycle over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, if you just randomly open it up to a story in the Old Testament, this is the cycle that you will see. This is the cycle that the Israelites will follow. And it's so easy, so easy for us to look at them and be like, man, they just don't get it. They, how do they not get it? I, I don't understand. They're, they're so foolish. It's, it's right there. God is right there. How could you be going back to the same things that you used to? How could you be caught in this cycle, only praising God and being thankful for him when things are going well and then forgetting about him until you face something bigger? But how easy is it for us to get caught up in that same cycle? For us to be living a life of however we want. And then when we're presented with a problem, who's the first person that we talk to? First person we cry out to. We cry out to God and we ask for forgiveness. And so God steps in and he rescues us from our sin. And so then we go back to praising God's name and we ride that spiritual high until eventually it just tanks off. And we end up right back where we were before. And it's even worse for us because not only do we know that we do it, but we have the Israelites as an example. We watch them slip up and make mistakes over and over again. And we point our fingers and we pick fun at them. And we're doing the exact same thing. And we, we, just, we just watch them get to make mistake after mistake and watch God forgive and forgive. And then we experience the same thing, but yet we still question his ways. I don't know about you guys, but the, the last few years really seem to have eaten up like the, the majority of my life. I don't know if it was COVID or the kid, but like these last two years have felt like 40 to me. I, I feel older. I feel more tired. I feel less optimistic. And I can't help but compare our current state to that of the Israelites. Have you guys been on social media lately? Have you seen the kind of stuff that's, that's going around? All of these complaints, everybody's complaining about gas and food and housing. And I love getting in those conversations as well. I love complaining about all of it. 
Everybody's complaining and everybody's arguing, saying they wish that things would go back to the way that they used to be. And, and yet, we're walking in this circle with no end in sight. And to put it bluntly, things seem hopeless. And when we start thinking like that, we've not just given up on our world. We've not just given up on each other, but we've given up on God. Because if you, have, have, <laughs> if you allow Satan to, to have that thought in your mind, then he's already got the upper hand. Because if you've listened at all this morning to anything that I've said or picked up a Bible and flipped to a random passage, then you should know that this is exactly when God does his best work. When everybody's back is against the wall, things seem hopeless, things seem bleak, that's when God steps in. That's when God pulls off a miracle. Just when people give in, when the enemy thinks they're going to succeed, when Satan thinks he's won, God steps in and he uses some no-name hero to pull off the most epic comeback story that you've ever heard in your entire life. When there was a giant in the land of the Philistines, the Israelites are all too scared to fight. They're shaken in their armor. God sends this small shepherd boy by the name of David using a sling and a stone to stand up against this giant warrior that everyone else was too afraid to fight. When the Israelites were surrounded by the Midianites, God used Gideon. Do you remember Gideon? He was the weakest man from the weakest tribe <laughs> and leading an army of 300 men to defeat 32,000 men. And when the Israelites needed to conquer Jericho and these massive walls were preventing them from getting in, God didn't say scale the walls and burn the place down. God sent Joshua and his men to walk around the walls of Jericho and blow their horns and the walls came crumbling at their feet. You can face your giants. You can even face armies. You can build up walls, but none of that is going to stop our God. My point is simple. God will always make a way. When you've been abandoned, God makes a way. When your back is up against the wall, God makes a way. When your doubt starts closing in, God makes a way. When all hope is lost. God makes a way. This morning, maybe you feel lost or alone. You feel kind of hopeless like this. You've been, you've been trying to do things on your own, and you got stuck in that Israelite sin cycle, and it's just it's not working for you. Maybe you need prayers of the church to help get you on the right path. You can, um, or maybe you, you feel overwhelmed by all of this, this negative things that people are saying, this uh, this negative world that we live in and this environment, this mindset that you can get caught up in. And maybe you need prayers or encouragement to try and get out of that. Or maybe you just feel weighed down by all of your sin and you need to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. He can make all of your sins disappear as if they had never even existed. And he promises you that. You've never been too far. Don't give up on God because he's never given up on you. If you have any need this morning, please come while we stand and sing.